Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. Will you please rise for the reading of today's scripture? Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has risen. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Messiah of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jackie, for reading our scripture for us today. We are a few weeks into our new series entitled, Teach Us to Pray. We are learning through the example of Jesus that all good things are empowered through prayer. Prayer enables healing to take place and temptations to be overcome, miracles to happen and for wisdom and insight to be given. And I would argue today that Jesus not only teaches us to pray, but he is the embodiment of prayer itself. If we think about the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed, all of the elements of the prayer are gifts that Jesus gives us with his presence and his power. Jesus is the one who provides our daily bread and forgives us our trespasses. He is the one who ushers in the kingdom of God and shows us God's will. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf and helps us through temptation. So one way that we can understand what prayer is, is it is that being with and invoking the presence and the power of Jesus in our lives. So let's take a look at what today's passage shows us. And it opens with these words. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Did we hear that correctly? Let me read another translation. It says, Jesus withdrew to be alone and he took them with him. I wonder, why did Jesus take his disciples with him when he was intentionally withdrawing to be alone with God? But yet this is what the text says. It is also clear from the text that Jesus knew who he wanted with him when he prayed. He did not invite all of the crowds to come with him. He invited those who were following him, those who had given up everything to follow him, to be with him in that sacred time, in that sacred place of prayer. And we too are invited by Jesus into prayer with him. And I promise you that Jesus will show up when we do. And I would argue too today that the ability to really be his disciples is really dependent on it. The apostle Paul talks about how important this is when he says, not I know what I believe, but I know the one in whom I have put my trust the one in whom I have put my trust. This requires a relationship. This requires that we spend time with him. Today's text shows that Peter's confession flows from a time of prayer. So in the text, Jesus emerges from prayer and he asks his disciples a couple of questions. So it seems that through prayer, Jesus has discerned that it was time. It was time to ask his disciples the most important question that they or any of us will ever answer. And that is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
When we meet people, we ask them all kinds of questions to get to know them. We ask them, where do you live? Tell me about your family. Where do you work or go to school? And Jesus put this question to the disciples because he was trying to learn about what was going on in their hearts and their minds in that moment. Now, Jesus didn't need them to tell him him who he was. He knew who he was. But it was important for him to understand where the disciples were and their recognition of who he was. So as I was studying this week, I found it interesting to learn that in Jesus's day, one's identity and one's vocation was not defined by a self-assessment, like what I think of myself that I might be good at, but it's defined by the community's perception of the person. So the disciples wouldn't have found it unusual for Jesus to ask them the first question that he asked, which is, who do the people say that I am? Or who do the crowds say that I am? It's essentially Jesus asking, what's the word on the street? What's the popular opinion of who I am? Now, the crowds knew that Jesus was a wise teacher and a powerful healer. And from this, they concluded that he must have come from that line of great prophets. And they saw that Jesus, like the prophets before him, was, he seemed to be anointed by God. Now, the disciples told Jesus what the crowds were saying, that they were debating that maybe he was Elijah or maybe he was John the Baptist or another ancient prophet. And these responses, interestingly, are the exact same responses that Herod was given just a little bit earlier in the chapter. Now, Herod was perplexed by Jesus because of all the amazing things that he was doing. And and Herod asked, who is this man? So in those responses, it seems that the crowd was catching a glimpse of who Jesus was, but their understanding was far from complete. So after the disciples shared the crowd's perception, Jesus turned and he asked them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? So it doesn't seem to me that Jesus was actually all that interested in what the they on the street thought. He wanted to know if the very ones that he had invited to join him in this intimacy of prayer knew who he was. And the future of the church would depend on this answer. And that is no less true today. But you, who do you say that I am? This question does not allow the disciples to hide behind what others are saying. They are being asked directly and personally, what do you believe? Now in the text, Peter immediately and triumphantly proclaims, you are God's Messiah. And immediately, Jesus strictly warns them, do not tell this to anyone. Now, why would Jesus do that? Does he not want the people to know who he really is? Well, of course he does. But as we often see with Jesus, he understands that timing matters. And I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where you had something important to share, but you knew that you needed to cultivate the soil before sharing it? That you needed to prepare the person or the person so that they could hear you clearly and accurately and understand what you were saying? So I think Jesus said not to tell anyone, not at this point, for two main reasons. One, it would hasten his journey to the cross and it was not yet time. And two, he needed to teach them what the confession that Peter just made really meant. Peter, he said, your words are right, but let me tell you what that really means. 
So neither Peter nor the crowds really understood it and maybe weren't even prepared to understand it at this time. So for centuries, the Jewish people had been praying and anxiously waiting for the Messiah. And they believed that the Messiah would lead them to a glorious revolution. They were expecting a conquering king. And Jesus needed time to reinterpret what being the God's Messiah meant. He was not sent to be a conquering king, but to be a humble servant. In fact, in the verses right after what Jackie just read for us today, Jesus corrects Peter by immediately launching into a passion prediction. He says to Peter, yes, your words are true. Now hear this. So listen to what Jesus says. He says, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the religious leaders and killed and on the third day raised to life. Suffering, rejection, being killed, this doesn't sound like the conquering king that they had in their mind to me. Jesus, though Christ, will not reign with the kind of power and authority that they were expecting. Jesus was on his way to a cross, not a throne. And all who want to confess him as their Lord must be willing to pick up their cross daily and follow him. Carrying our cross means publicly confessing and living out our faith and being willing to experience the cross, the criticism, the negative attention, the rejection that that may bring from some people and in some places the persecution that that may bring. Now we all know that there are all kinds of things in life that compete for our attention. Daily we confess loyalty to any number of values and ideas intentionally or unintentionally through our words and through our actions. So like with Peter, the words that we confess matters, but understanding what those words mean and how that changes our lives, that's really crucial. Confessing Christ means putting ourselves under the authority of Christ, under the Lordship of Christ. Confessing Jesus as Lord means that we necessarily surrender all of those other things, those competing values that keep us from living into what he teaches us. This is our discipleship journey, coming to understand in our minds and in our hearts who Jesus is and then living that out in our words and in our deeds. Now, thanks be to God, we are not expected to do this on our own. We are strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit and by the cloud of witnesses in the church. Our hearts and our minds are transformed through the spiritual disciplines and I would argue especially through prayer. Through spending time with Jesus, the one who lovingly invites us into his sanctuary and promises to generously shine through all who devote themselves to him. So I recently was reading a devotional and a story that I thought was inspirational was shared. It's really short, but I want to share it with you today. It was from a story from the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And if you don't know, the Desert Fathers and Mothers are a group of early Christian followers who spent their whole lives in prayer. And so hear this story. Abba Lot, who is the student, went to see Abba Joseph. Now, Abba Joseph is like the Bishop Spain of our community. So Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and he said to him, Abba, as far as I can, I say my office, I fast a little, I pray and I meditate. 
I live in peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. What else can I do? Then the old man stood up, he stretched his hands toward heaven, and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire, and he said to him, if you will, you can become all flame. And the Song of Songs puts it this way, love is a flash of fire, a flame of Yahweh. And as Thomas Merton teaches, he says, the thing that we have to face in life is as simple as this. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and God is shining through it all the time. Spending time saturated in God's presence is the only way that we are able to shine the light of Christ into the world. Immersed in God's presence, our very being becomes a confession and a witness that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Those around us will be able to sense it even before they can understand it. And we are incredibly fortunate to live in a place where we have the freedom to follow Christ and to confess his love openly. As we all know, this is not true everywhere in the world. One of the ministries that I've had the privilege of working with is our Middle East North Africa ministry. We call it our MENA ministry. And I give thanks for Mark Graham and for all the team of folks who helped lead this initiative. And it is through this ministry that I saw firsthand what it looks like to confess loyalty to Christ in a context where the Christians are in the minority, the vast minority in this case. In this particular context, it was a majority Muslim context, and I learned by being there all the things that we take for granted about being able to live our faith openly. So while visiting our friends in Lebanon, we heard stories of people who were harassed and persecuted and even risk their lives to become followers of Jesus. And we also saw how the Spirit intervened and used them in powerful ways to transform not only their lives, but the lives of others around them. And I saw in these friends the words from 2 Timothy that say, for the Spirit of God gave, that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. As many of you know, in the recent days, our friends in Beirut have been facing many hardships. For some time, they've been under economic stress and social unrest. And then like everywhere, the COVID pandemic hit and then the catastrophic explosion that we all saw on the news. They are suffering and they find themselves continually and necessarily on their knees in prayer. Yet even in the middle of all of this chaos, God is using them to show a Christ-like love to their neighbors, neighbors who don't understand them. Our friends are often finding themselves serving the very neighbors who have believed and perpetuated rumors that they as Christians are dangerous people. But our friends are cultivating the soil of understanding with acts of love so that when the timing is right and when they are asked the question, they can confess with words what they know in their heart to be true, that God is love and Jesus is Lord. And we have the blessing today of being able to be greeted by our friend Nabil Costa. Nabil is the president of our primary um, 
partner organization on the ground in Lebanon, LSESD, and I want us to take just a minute and hear a word about how they're doing. So let's watch this video. Imagine yourself in a hospital. One hour after your operation, you hear this big explosion and you hear people screaming around you. Yourself, you have to take the IV from your hand, go down a dark stairs. People are screaming and you see blood everywhere. You go to the street, same scenery. You try to go home and you find your home as well is completely damaged. Imagine yourself, you wake up and you want to go to your school as usual after a week or two and you find your school is damaged. Our Beirut Baptist School is partially damaged and we thank God for it. However, where I'm standing now, Armenian Evangelical School, it's only less than one mile from the port where the explosion took place. This is an inclusive school. People with special need come here with all the difficulties that they have. We now, at this stage, we want to escape. We don't know what to do as Lebanese. This is, this is our human nature. But with this difficult situation, we are learning to love our Lord more. We are learning to love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. We are learning the second commandment as well, to love your neighbor like yourself. We are confessing the Lordship of our Christ. How we are confessing this? By helping and loving our neighbors. At our seminary, ABTS, we transformed it into an emergency shelter, serving families, serving homeless people, injured people, medical, food, uh, spiritual support at Mirath, our relief and development arm at LSESD. We are distributing food, distributing hygiene kits through our partners' network of churches who are working with us. Our vision is always to empower the church and work through them. Our special need ministry, SKILL, are arranging a trauma program for all the kids who suffered this trauma during uh, this explosion and who need help, counseling, spiritual counseling and psychological counseling. As for BCYM, Children and Youth Ministry, we are distributing a very nice box that will help every child to release his stress and help him fill his time with something useful. As we all know, more than 300,000 people, because of the explosion, are outside their homes. We are trying to fix few homes, help some people to go back to their homes. We're trying as well to help some churches to, to rebuild and have people come and worship God again. We are trying to help some students like this school I'm, I am in right now to come back to their school. This experience is humbling us every day, but we are grateful to him for restoring us, renewing our strength. I would like on behalf of all LSESD ministries to thank you for the ministry of giving, for standing with us, and for your, all your prayers and support. I cannot tell you how much your calls and your communication to us is, is helping us. You helped us to reignite the hope in many hundreds of souls. To him be the power and glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And thanks be to God, our friends in Beirut are confessing and sharing Christ in mighty ways. And I pray that we too may show the world through our words and through our actions what the kingdom of God looks like. May we too bathe ourselves in prayer so that we can shine the light of Christ in the world, even when it is inconvenient or challenging and in some places countercultural. May it be so. Amen.